Now we turn to the Holy Scripture in the book of 1 Samuel, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 2. We'll begin reading in chapter 2 at verse 12. Because the text is the majority of what we read, we won't reread that. The text is verses 12 through 17 and then 22 to 36. In this Old Testament history, we are at the very end of the lengthy period of the judges, that history of God's people when they came into the land of Canaan that kept going down and down and down in wickedness. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. They didn't know the Lord. There was a generation, repeatedly it says, that didn't know the Lord. And now 1 Samuel, following Judges, is that history. In this history we have a number of people whose names are important. Eli, the old judge and priest. His sons his wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and then the young boy Samuel who will become the priest in place of Eli and be a godly priest. This is God's Word in 1 Samuel chapter 2 beginning at verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. That's not a name, Belial. It's a description. It means vain and empty and worthless. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom was uh, with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servants came and said unto the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, Then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore the sin of the young men, that is, Hophni and Phinehas, was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year, when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. When Eli blessed Elkanah, his wife, Elkanah was the father of little Samuel, and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own house. And the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil doings by all this people. 
Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me, For them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, in all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine, whom I shall not cut off from mine altar, shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart and all the increase of thine house and shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house And he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and shall say, Put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. Before you close the Bible, they'll turn to the next chapter and see what Samuel must tell Eli, in verse 11, the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. And in that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because His sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. It's a pretty negative text. But you mustn't imagine that it's negative for the sake of being negative, but it's a negative text to hold before us the positive calling of parents in the rearing of children. Who would ever choose this kind of passage for the baptism of their children. But if we all had our choice, you'd never hear a lot of the Old Testament. 
Because a lot of the Old Testament holds us holds before us not only the positive example of faithful people, but the negative example of those who are unfaithful. This teaches us something, but so does this. The negative example of an unfaithful man, that is, a man unfaithful in one respect in his life, because this was a godly man. Eli loved the Lord. We'll see that from the Word of God in a moment. This godly man made a tragic, we may say fatal mistake, in the rearing of his children. His boys made themselves vile, the Word of God says, and he didn't stop them. That's an inclination that we have, isn't it? We know what they do, our sons and daughters sometimes, when they sin, whether that's very little or when they get older. Maybe we even say what they ought not do and warn them about the consequences of continuing in that way. But here's where we make our mistake. We don't stop them. And the calling of the Word of God to all of us who are parents and grandparents and the Church of Christ, because this is our family. When our sons and daughters sin, we must not only tell them and warn them, but we must do what it takes to stop them from sinning. Eli, Eli, what a sad history, what a pathetic history, really, of a man who loved the Lord and had to die that way. But whatsoever things Paul says in Romans 15 were written aforetime, and he's referring to the Old Testament, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of Scripture, might have hope. And it's that hope that the Word of God teaches us that I want you to lay hold of, the hope that when you depend on God's grace and you do what is required you to do with the rearing of your children, the Lord will use that, not in every case, but usually, for the well-being of the next generation, that little one in dad's arms. That's the purpose of the Word of God this morning before us. Let's see this godly man's tragic parental failure. Three things. First, the tragic mistake and failure. Secondly, the severe judgment that God brought upon him and around him. And then, in the third place, the selfish reason that was in Eli's mind and heart. And at each point, I want to point out then the positive calling or the positive hope and the gospel that is in that negative, tragic failure, severe judgment, and selfish reason. I want to emphasize also the positive. Well, the tragic failure has to do with Eli's two sons named Hophni and Phinehas, who the Bible describes as sons of Belial. That is, they're worthless men. They made themselves vile. Now, that's striking because these men were successful. These men were, from a certain point of view, popular. They made it all the way to the top. 
They were professionals. They had money. They were educated. And yet the Word of God, and that teaches us something right at the beginning, the Word of God values men and describes men not according to their outward wealth, professionalism, standing among men, but according to their hearts. They were, according to that judgment of God, worthless men. Sons of Belial. They made themselves vile. The two sins that they were guilty of specifically, you hardly dare mention. Number one, they were greedy. They always wanted more. And they got more from the people that they were supposed to serve. And number two, they were guilty of sin against the seventh commandment because they slept with the women who came to worship God at the tabernacle. I say you hardly dare mention it. That's humbling. That's so humbling, I hope that no one esteems himself such that he says, that's not my nature, it's our nature. And unless the grace of God preserves us, that's the sin, and those are the sins into which every one of us would fall. Greed and sex. And yet it wasn't the sins of Hophni and Phinehas that are described as being judged in the passage we read. It was Eli's sins that are being judged here. It's this man whose sons they are who's being addressed with the judgment that's going to come upon him. Now we need to be very careful here and not leave the impression that everyone may conclude that if their sons are wicked, it's their fault. It may well be that godly men and women, faithful parents, not perfect, no one is perfect, but godly men, faithful parents, rear their children as they ought, and yet some of them become unfaithful, vile, to be described as worthless sons, sons of Belial or daughters of Belial. But that's not the case here. The case here is that Eli stands in the foreground because this man of God made a very, very serious mistake in one aspect of his life. Now, at first glance, that judgment against Eli may seem to be without merit because Eli, as we read, did a number of things that he ought to do. He warned his sons. He threatened his sons. He talked about the consequences of that sin. He called their behavior evil dealings. He pointed out the worst aspect of it. You make the people of God to transgress. And then he told them the consequences that God would bring upon them and upon him. And you say, that's more than a lot of people do today when they have wayward children. And yet the severe judgment of God comes upon Eli because of Eli's miserable failure that he had all talk and no action. It was, as sometimes we say, all bark and no bite. Pretty soon you realize that that dog that barks is not going to bite and you're not afraid of that dog. And so it is with Eli. He talked and talked and talked, but he never did what he ought to do. What he needed to do is to discipline his own sons 
He was in charge of that. Not only as a parent, but as a priest. We're going to leave the offices out of this now for the sermon this morning. There could be an entire sermon about that, the responsibility of an office bearer to deal with the sins of other office bearers. That's right there, isn't it? But now we're looking at the sin of a parent. And the sin of this parent was that he didn't do what he ought to do, and that is bring his sons to the elders for discipline. For deposition from the office of priests, they didn't belong in that office, and Eli knew that. And if you go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 21, perhaps it's 18, I forget which one it is, it's one of those, the parent whose son was a disobedient, rebellious son who wouldn't turn, that parent was called to bring the son to the elders and say, this our son is a wayward son. He's a drunkard. He's a glutton. He's disobedient to us. And then they excommunicated him. In the way they excommunicated in the Old Testament, he was finished with his life among the saints. That was Eli's responsibility, and he didn't do it. He talked, and he talked, and he talked. And behind that disobedience, very likely, because this doesn't begin when children become old, behind that disobedience of these young men, his sons who were just coming into the ministry, the office of priest was probably a lifetime of indulgent parenting. Who when the children were this little, said to them many good things, but didn't stop them allowed them to go on and on in the sin. Now, we need to be very careful here, too. All kinds of caveats, mistakes on both sides. When I say that the dog had no bite behind his bark, you must be very careful that you don't imagine this means that parents must be all bite, that is, all discipline, harsh, There are parents like that, and they destroy children just as much as indulgent, lax children. It's always discipline. It's only discipline. And in that discipline is anger, violence, harshness. We call that abuse. They're using their authority with their children to destroy the children because of the physical pain and destruction they inflict upon their children. You must never imagine that the sin of Eli must point you in that direction, but you must imagine that avoiding that mistake, you also avoid this mistake of no discipline. Words, but not talk. And the worst of it was not even that the sons were ruined, but that the worship was ruined. You see, Eli was the old priest, and because he was old, he retired, and his sons, that's the way it went in the Old Testament, rose up and took his place. So they were in charge of the worship. And what these two sons of Eli did was make the worship of God stink in the nostrils of the people of God. That's what verse 17 says. The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of of the Lord. You can understand that. In verse 24, it speaks of causing the people to transgress. Well, one of the people's transgression was not that they would do the same thing, but eventually they would. But originally, the people's transgression was, we don't want to come to church. We're not going to bring our offerings to these men. We're going to stay home. And therefore, they didn't worship. They're going to take more than their share. They're 
permitted to take some. Everyone knew that. That's how the priests lived, by a small portion of the sacrifice that the people gave. But now when they took a large portion, and even by force, the people said, we're not going to come to worship. And when dads had daughters, dad said, we're not bringing them to church. We're going to stay home. The people transgressed because of the sins of these men. And Eli is responsible. Eli is. Now, what lessons are there in that for us? That's very, very negative. What are the lessons? Well, first of all, that God takes seriously the instruction and discipline, the rearing of our children. He's not going to tolerate ungodly behavior in the church of Christ. That's very simple. And so seriously does God take that ungodly behavior that He says, I'm going to judge and punish those who behave that way and their parents. Their parents. So from earliest years, our children must be brought in control. Our children must not be the ones about whom the old people are whispering out there in the sanctuary, don't they know what their kids are doing? Look at them running wild. Why aren't they stopping them? Our children may not be those children. We need to speak to them, maybe because we were reminded by a bulletin announcement from the elders that that kind of behavior is going on, and after we speak with them, we watch them, and if they don't stop, we stop them. That's the lesson from the Word of God here. But it's more fundamental than that. It's twofold. One is that we must teach our children, and two is that we must discipline our children. Let me look briefly at both of them. It might be surprising for you to hear me say that the first lesson is that we need to teach them. But that comes out here because at the very beginning of what we read in chapter 2, it describes the sons of Eli as sons of Belial and then explains that this way. They didn't know God. They didn't know Him. And that's surprising from a certain point of view because they were the sons of the priest. They were brought up in the home of one who ought to know God, and they didn't. And the positive calling for us then is that we need to teach our children about God, about God's works, about God's worth, about God's conduct, about God's character, about God's dealings way back in the beginning when He created the worlds, and now how He governs the worlds in wisdom. We need to know how God thinks, and our children need to be taught that, and this explains why from age five or six in this congregation, we teach our children catechism, and we're not going to stop that. We're going to teach them until they get to be 18 or 19 years old, and they make confession of faith. They need to know the Lord. And yet you realize, without even thinking very hard about it, that the problem was not that these young men didn't know God here in their mind, but that they did not know God here in their hearts. Of course they knew God. They were trained. Eli taught them. They knew all of the facts of creation and redemption out of Egypt and the history of the judges. They knew that. Here, in their mind, they knew the character of God. They had their catechism lessons. They memorized the book of Leviticus as all the children in the Old Testament needed to do. But that knowledge that they had here never came down 
here. Here. And that's what we need to pray for with regard to our children, that what we teach them in catechism and what we instruct them in our family devotions and in the Christian schools, they know, but that they love. And they love it because they hear about a God who loved them. They hear and they love it because they hear that God gave His own Son didn't spare his own son. And all of the sacrifices pointed to that. And if anyone ought to have known that, these boys, Hophni and Phinehas, ought to have because every day, every day, these men were the ones who took that spotless lamb and slew it and shed its blood and sprinkled it on the people and upon all of the furniture in the tabernacle because it pointed them to Christ. And yet these young men knew it here, but they didn't know it here in their hearts. And that's what we pray. We can't give that to our children. We wish we could. There's one thing that we cannot do. I've said before, there are many things that we can do. There are many things that we can't. There's one thing we can't, and that is take that knowledge from their mind and drive it into their heart. God does that. And so we pray for the little ones. God, use our instruction. but Use our example too. And use our testimony of love for Him, for God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Use our testimony of how much we love God in Christ. And we mean it. We mean it. We don't just say it. We don't just come to church on Sunday and maybe have a, a few Bible readings during the week, but we live it. And then our children know that we mean it. We love the Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we must do. And then second, we stop them. We restrain them. We rebuke them. We discipline them. We don't wink at all of their evil behavior. We say no, we mean no. And our children learn that from very young ages. We mean it. It doesn't take very long to train our children that we don't mean it. We may raise our voice. We may say it twice. But as soon as we say it twice, we've made a mistake. That is, after they get very old at all. If we have to say it twice, the children have learned that we didn't mean it when we said it once. And they need to learn very early that after we say it once, if there's disobedience, there's consequence for the disobedience. Otherwise, the fault of their disobedience is not theirs, it's ours. Everyone knows that most people know anyway what it means to train a pet. And you can talk about uh, with that pet all you want, but it takes conduct on your part so that the pet knows what you mean. But our children aren't pets. They're children. They're thinking, willing, rational beings. So when we say to our children, when they get a little bit older, you may listen to worldly, ungodly music, and then we find that they have that worldly, ungodly, wicked music in their possession, we do whatever it takes. It probably is harder than in the day when I was a youth, when my friend's mother, finally after saying it more than a couple of times, 
found all of those vinyl records in their children, her children's possession one afternoon after school in the presence of those boys, took every one of those records and broke them over her knees. I don't know how to do that today. It's more difficult, but you ought to learn how to stop your children from listening to bad music or watching what they ought not be watching or coming home when they ought to come home or come home late. We parents need to learn what it means to discipline them starting when it's early because by the time they get five or six, it's almost too late. And by the time they get to be 15 or 16, it is. It is. Children, listen. If your parents not only say something to you about what you ought not do, but also back it up with painful discipline. You know why they do that? Because they love you. Remember that. They love you. We know. We do. We parents know. Eli knew. He said it. I hear it. All of the people are telling me, don't think that you can hide it from me. We know. And if we don't, we're going to be judged by God with a very, very severe judgment. What makes that difficult, that severe judgment, is that Eli was a child of God. He was troubled about the behavior of his sons. Read the passage again, and then read chapter 13 again, where Samuel brings the message to Eli, and Eli responds in a way that he ought to respond. He doesn't fight. He gives up, and he says, it's from the Lord. Let him do what he must do. Eli was a man of God. And then you remember the subsequent history when the ark was stolen and this prophecy of the death of his sons comes to pass. And the report came back to Eli of those two things. The ark was stolen and his sons died, both of them. What made him fall off his chair and die was not the report of his sons, but the stealing of the ark. He loved the Lord, but even then, there was judgment, not damnation, not hell for him, but chastisement, very serious chastisement, and chastisement that was fitting. Where did the sin take place? In his house. And where did the chastisement come from God? In his house. Where did he sin? In the church. He was an office bearer, and where did the judgment come? In the church. Listen, both his sons would die in one day in his home. His descendants would die prematurely. None of them would grow up to be old people. The high priesthood, now this is ecclesiastical, the high priesthood would be taken from his family. They and their generations wouldn't have that office any longer. And the worst of it is verse 32 you'll see an enemy in my habitation that is in this place of worship where God lives God's habitation there wouldn't be godly men anymore and Eli saw that and for that Eli was grieved grieved and yet there was mercy in this so we have to see the positive in this and that comes out of the history too to whom did God give this priesthood what priest was, would you name 
as the one who took Eli and his son's place. If you would say Samuel, you would not be mistaken, but if you said only Samuel, you would have failed to see the heart of the gospel here because the people had to see their salvation is not in the earthly priesthood. It was not in Samuel either, godly young man as he was. In fact, he made some of the same mistakes that Eli himself made. You read his history. Their salvation is not in an earthly priesthood, but in the priesthood that God would provide. So read in chapter 2, verse 35, I will raise up to me a faithful priest who will do according to that which is in my heart and my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. That's not Samuel. That's the Lord Jesus who was faithful in all of God's house, painful as it was to him to be faithful in God's house. God's covenant was sure. It was. And so the positive instruction for us today is, first of all, that God's covenant is going to stand. It will. He will see to it that his people are gathered But in the midst of covenant living, there's room for judgments and chastisements. That's the hard word that we need to hear today. Just because we may be the people of God does not mean that we might not suffer the heavy hand of God to teach us our failures. And Eli now is presented to you as a failure from which you and I must learn. And it's a painful lesson, very painful The destruction of worship and the ruin of children. Just highlight again those two things that happened there and will happen to us. The destruction of worship. If we don't teach our children well, what's going to happen when they grow up to be adults? They didn't have catechism. They didn't know the Lord. Or they had catechism that was only aimed at their head and not at their heart. They're going to be formal in their worship. All they're interested in is right dogma. Make sure you defend the faith. But it wasn't in their hearts. What kind of people are they going to be? Not the kind of people that ought to be members of the church of the Lord Jesus. And then later on, they're going to become the office bearers in the church. The elders and the deacons and the ministers. And the cause of this evil in the church is not in the seminary where I work and train men. Though the cause of evil in the church may be there, but not from this text. The cause is not because of the office bearers even. You have to go behind that and find the cause of the apostasy of the church in the parents who winked at their children when their children were wicked. And then their children perish. And I don't know which one is more painful for a godly man or a godly woman when he gets older. That he sees the ruin of worship. That he sees the perishing of his children. We don't need to say it's either or. And you don't need to make a judgment which is worse. Because they're both very, very difficult. Discipline your children. painful, very, very painful, but do that. 
I want to say something about what I'd like to call the, the dynamic of the middle generation. That was Eli, this middle generation. Before Eli, perhaps you could say the generation was faithful in most respects. After Eli, the generations perished. They were cut off in their generations. The children were unbelieving. But it doesn't happen overnight from a faithful generation to an unbelieving generation. There is a middle generation. That's how it went in the days of the judges. Read that history there. And that's the way it goes in the days today too. This middle generation are believers. The parents are believers. This generation, the parents aren't. What happened here? Parents who are believers, parents who love the Lord. What happens here from a very faithful generation to an unbelieving generation in this middle generation, the parents fail in this fundamental reality. The stopping of their children in their children's sins. In the end, let me ask you, what's going to give you joy when you get to be my age and older? When you're ready to retire and you sit back and you look over what life is, what will give you joy? Is it that your business succeeded? That you made lots of money? That your children did well in their education and their business? That you have some vacation property? Is it? Of course not, you say. When you get old and pretty soon you say, I'm going to lose all of that. Because I'm going to die. What is it that is of value to you when you're going to get old or you are old? It's the worship of God in the coming generation. And if that's true, and it is for you, people of God, I know it is for you, then when the selfish reason for you to fail to discipline your children comes up in you, You're going to fight against that selfish reason with all of your might. Because if you ask really, why did Eli fail to restrain his boys? What was it? He loved God. He warned them. He knew what was right and he knew what was wrong. He just didn't stop them. What was it that explains his failure? And the answer is in verse 29. Eli was told by the prophet who came to him, you have honored your sons more than Jehovah. You gave more weight to how your sons feel than to how God feels. That's literally what that word means. You honor. It's the word in the Hebrew that talks about weightiness, heaviness. And if you think about a scale, and the sons of yours and the daughters of yours on one side of the scale, and the God and His church on the other side of the scale, Eli was told, you gave more weight to how your sons feel and what pleases your sons and how they think than what pleases and how God Himself thinks. And when it pained Him, And when it pained his sons, he failed. That's why he didn't depose them. Would have hurt 
Can you imagine that dad taking his sons to the elders and saying to those elders, we need to stone them. That was excommunication in the Old Testament. I can't imagine that. Yes, I can, and so can you. You can't think of greater pain than a parent bringing to the consistory room over there a wayward son or daughter who won't listen. They've heard, they've heard, they've heard again, and they won't change. Then you bring them to the elders, and the elders excommunicate that. Very, very painful. But the pain starts when they're very young. And when the no isn't listened to, a little hand needs to have a little pain given to it so that they learn that the words mean something. And then a little bit later, when the rod needs to be applied very carefully to their backside so they feel pain when they disobey. And a little bit later, when they get old enough to be grounded, when they don't listen to you, and it's all painful for you. It's painful for me to do that with my children. I hated to spank them. I despised it when I had to discipline them by grounding them. It hurt me. And you know that. And though you joke about it, that parents say it hurts me more than it hurts you. All of you who are parents understand exactly what that means. Eli gave more weight to what would hurt his children. He didn't want to hurt them than what would hurt God. And he was willing to hurt God. And here is the gospel for us. Painful as it may be for you, honor God. Think about the consequences, people of God. First of all, that's not the most important thing, but think of the consequences. Your own children. Your own children. Then think of the consequences. The worship that you treasured when you were young. The truth that was spoken, not only from a mind that knew it, but from a heart that believed it, isn't there anymore. Think of the consequences, but especially the consequences with regard to God Himself. We honor God. And we honor God because when it pained God, may you say that? He gave his own son and didn't spare him. Didn't spare him. He knew what his son would endure. And he gave him over, all the way over to the death of the cross for us. To what do you give more honor? The pain of your sons and daughters? For the pain of God's Son, give all the weight in your own mind and heart, your thinking, and what gives you pleasure to that weighty reality. God gave His Son. And because He did, we're going to do what it is required of us to do, though it causes us pain, immeasurable pain, for the honor of the God who loved us in His own Son. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. It is to us weighty. It is to us humbling. It causes our hearts to hurt 
And yet we know it's written for our learning that through the instruction of the Bible, we might have hope. And not only for ourselves, but for our children, for our sons and our daughters who've been baptized. Father, make us faithful. Guard us from all of the errors that parents can be guilty of and the mistakes that we make. Overrule, Lord, our faults. We are full of faults and weaknesses. And make us faithful, a people who love Thee and give more weight to the honor that belongs to Thee than to the pleasure and the thinking of our own sons and daughters, flesh and blood. Forgive us of our weaknesses as we pray to overrule them and save us and our children. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.